Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I am Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. Season 2, Episode 1. Yes, here we are, Dorothea. Season 2, because Season 1 was such a success <laughs> that we decided to have another one. All right, so Dorothea, what do we want to talk about today in this? What is the new season? What, what, is, what are the changes that we're going to do? Well, there is not going to be a spoiler alert section anymore. Uh, no more alarm like this. I'm going to miss it. I uh, think it grew on me. Yeah. yeah. Like, like a tumor. <laughs> like a tumor. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are not doing spoiler alerts anymore. The thing was, we were very overconfident with that spoiler alert section when we started season one. And for good reason. We are pretty good at predicting the ends of a lot of books and television shows and movies. But the thing is, we're good at predicting them because they all fall victim to the same issues, which means that there aren't enough spoilers for us to talk about at the end of every episode of each podcast. Yeah, at some point our spoilers would be, at the end, either people are going to be happy or sad. Dun, dun, dun. But as a little treat to all y'all who are listening to the show, we did... All y'all? Yeah. <laughs> is all that a y'all. phrase? It is, actually. It's a very popular phrase. Where? In the South. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I don't know if they would agree with you. All y'all is definitely a popular All- phrase. <laughs> <laughs> All y'all. Yes. I don't think so. No, it is. Nope. I think we should have a poll on this podcast page. <laughs> well, since we only have three listeners if they all participate we'll definitely have a winner exactly so for the three of you who are listening if you think that all y'all is a popular (laughs) phrase in the south popular did you hear that not just not just an existing phrase it is a a popular no that's not that's not the bulk question it is a popular like everybody's doing it it is everybody's in the south it is a commonly used phrase (laughs) okay (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say this because I sent an email at work on Friday and I used the word y'all twice and my boss actually messaged me and he's like, there were a lot of y'alls in your last, <laughs> your last email. See? See? I say that Not word as popular all as the you time. think. Well, my boss isn't cool, so he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> we are changing up a little bit, although I will say this, I, I do want to say this, that it appears that our efforts in unspoiling spoiler alerts has worked because you know what's different now? Your book? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, all of my endings were really obvious. No. Um, is that Chopped has actually changed how they put their show together. Really? Yes, they did. Like, I'm so glad that the Food Network listens to this podcast. <laughs> yes, we're big fans, by the way. <laughs> my wife would love for you guys to come and do our backyard. But seriously, Chopped? No, that's HGTV, Dad. Not Food Network. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Keep it together. No, but seriously, Chopped the, my is wife has an incredible show. My wife has two channels, HGTV and the Food Network. But that's kind of expanded lately because she also has the Cooking Channel and the mm-hmm. DIY Network. Yeah, they're just offshoots of the same networks. She used to have Discovery Health, but that was taken from her. Or <laughs> she could watch tumors, tumors being removed from people, 150-pound tumors. That was always fun to walk in on. Yeah, you know? come home from school. It's oh, a Duma. Look, they're they're ripping someone's face off their, their skull. Aw, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? So Chopped actually 
now before like the last, I think it's the last section, they don't review what they've thought about things. Like when people are done cooking, they leave and then they show the people, the chefs talking, and then they just come out and get judged. Interesting. So all the stuff we're saying they were doing to let us know by diversion who was going to win, they no longer do. So now you can't predict the winner. So the world is a better place because of us (laughs) is what I'm saying. I'm sure that's true. All right. So what are some of the things we learned about, about ourselves from season one other than apparently putting together a blooper reel is an insanely (laughs) difficult task it is very very (laughs) difficult especially when you're only dealing with audio because there are some things that you can do with video where you can just cut from one scene to another and have it not be a problem because the setting changes the actors and the shot change but when you're dealing with audio it has to make sense like you can't just cut from one blooper to another when they're unrelated yeah And it took a lot longer than you thought. Yeah, because I didn't only have to listen to the episodes that we've already done. I had to listen to the raw versions of them. Yeah, because we do a little bit of editing on these things. Otherwise, just a tad. what's barely tolerable now (laughs) would not be tolerable at all. It was a lot of fun, though. It was. It was. It was just funny because I kept going, well, is it almost done? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's just it's taking a lot longer than I thought. It did. It took much longer than I thought. My cousin actually listens to the show and... Oh, there's one. And I ran into him and he's like, so remember how you said you were going to have like a special episode next week? It's like, that was last month. Yeah. Yeah. And then I insulted him. So it all worked (laughs) out. (laughs) So the important thing here is that (laughs) lie to your audience (laughs) and follow up their complaints with insults. Exactly. No, I did learn some <laughs> some interesting things going through all those podcasts, though, because at least to me, the way that you present yourself to the world is really important. And I take... Me or, or people in general? People in general. Okay, because you said you, and I wanted to know if it was the it was way a, I present is really important to the it world. It was an ambiguous you. Oh, okay. It was a y'all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I take great pride in my work at my job. And when I was in school, I took great pride in my work. And editing blooper reels. Editing blooper reels. That's why it's so important to me. So doing these podcasts was always a high pressure situation for me. I don't because know Because I wanted to make sure that, A, we weren't sounding like idiots. B, that it was well, entertaining. I'm in, the, I'm in the show. So and the idiot potential is pretty high. And that it had value for the people who were listening. So I put so much pressure on myself whenever we recorded these episodes. And... I totally forgot until I listened to all the raw footage that we actually have a lot of fun <laughs> when we're recording them because before we record them, there's pressure. And then after we record them, there's pressure because I don't know how you're going to edit it together or... And you're a control freak. And I'm a control freak. And so listening to the blue for real, it's like, oh, hey, my dad and I actually enjoy each other's company. Yeah, we should cut that out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what what was something else that you learned last year, Dorothea? I learned a very unfortunate lesson (laughs) about myself. Hmm. Um, At the beginning of our last season, it was around New Year's. So we created New Year's resolutions specifically related to our work with Sunlight Press and with Gabby Wells. And my resolution was to be as equally devoted to the work we do here as I am to my job. How'd that go? It didn't. Apparently, (laughs) I'm a workaholic. I didn't even know this. Didn't I warn you when I saw it coming? Yeah, but you're my dad, so why would I listen to you? (laughs) 
we actually we were out to lunch with two of our other coworkers. And they asked me why I wasn't doing certain things, and I didn't want to tell them because I knew the looks I would get. And they're like, well, why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, guys, I work all the time, okay? I know I shouldn't, but I do. I work from home. I work on the weekends. I just work constantly. And then they told me not to. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to listen to you anyway, so let's just move on. And eventually I totally had a breakdown because I wasn't giving my brain a break or in doing things that I genuinely find enjoyable. Yeah. It's that work-life balance is pretty important. So I not only failed my New Year's resolution, but I created an unhealthy lifestyle for myself. Wow. So that's pretty impressive. You know, I think And I failed you because I was supposed to be helping you and I was yeah. totally committed to my job. I was used to that. But I think... Um, Aw, <laughs> so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. What's interesting is that I think most people's New Year's resolutions turn into unhealthy lifestyles. I think that's a pretty <laughs> common thing. Like, I'm going to go to the gym every week. Nah. And I feel bad about myself, so I'm going to have some more pizza. You know, stuff like that. All right, well, I my <laughs> New Year's resolutions were more about uh, putting together these book series and stuff. And I've plugged along. It has been a little a little uh, more time-consuming than I anticipated. A little more difficult, especially with the first time you do stuff, the first time you get a website up, the first time you have a launch of a book and things like that. So it, it was a little more difficult than I expected. And that was definitely evident for us when we were trying to get people involved with promoting the series. You did create a launch team. Yeah. You did have some people sign up for it. Yep. And about 50% of those people actually participated. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, 25% actually participated. But you know what? Those numbers aren't bad, actually. And and if I were to do it again... What I would do is assume no one you care about <laughs> is going to do anything for you. And I, <laughs> that sounds really awful. I knew that was coming, though. I laughed prematurely. Yeah. I'm sorry, audience. That's all right. No, it's true. Because if true marketing, obviously, is beyond friends and family. So if I were to do it again, six months before I even released the first book, I would have been out there trying to develop relationships with people to participate in a launch by pitching the book series in theory at that point. Because that's the longevity aspect is at some point your family and friends run out, you know? So at some point you need to have strangers be excited about your project and want to participate in what you're doing. I wish I would have taken that approach from the very beginning because the default is your friends and family are going to be involved, but that's I should not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Say they're going to be involved or express interest, but not all of them are. And for a lot of different reasons that I thought were, were pretty interesting. But in any event, if I had to do it over again, lessons learned sort of thing, I would have started working with the concept that I knew nobody and that no one wanted to help me. And then I'd go from there. Well, and one of the things about that, too, is that, and this is going to sound terrible, I don't know how to make it not sound terrible, but there are some people who want to help you without actually doing anything, and that just comes across because every time you talk to them, they'll be really interested. They'll say, oh, yeah, I would love to help promote this. I'd love to read it. I'd love to support you. But when push comes to shove, they don't actually want to do any of those things. They want you to be supported without having to put in any effort. Yeah. And I think part of that is they're, they want to be supportive. I think that's the first thing and, and really nice, but it doesn't translate into actual benefit. So being supportive is, ooh, I'd love to read your book. I'd love to give you feedback on it. 
but oftentimes they'll read the book when they can, and that pretty much is where it ends. I don't think any of it's malicious or, or thought ahead of time. No, not but, at all. But it's the outcome of human nature that, as you said, support doesn't always equate to, to real benefit. Like how many people have volunteered to help you move and never <laughs> actually helped you move for right. all of our listeners out there? Yeah. And when I released the book, I gave some guidelines on how to write a review based on Amazon's current rules and how they, some reviews may be deleted if they're posted seeming like they're from friends and family. Not that those reviews aren't valid, but they're kind of skewed reviews and they want as objective reviews as possible. So I gave people some sort of guidelines on that. And actually, to my surprise, so my goal there was just to put people at ease and that if they wanted to leave a review, that I wanted to give them the way to leave it in a way that most likely would be, be left and uh, retained on the site. What I ended up doing with some people is scaring them into not reviewing at all <laughs> because they were like, oh, I can't. I was like, you know, don't focus on the story because that's kind of defined in the overview and synopsis that's on the site. Just focus on how it made you feel, if it was, you know, if it's exciting, a page turner, you know, things like that. And then I had some people go, well, I don't know how to write that. And I was like, well, well, did you like it? And they're like, yes. I'm like, well, write that. Just write that. Just I write, loved it. I loved it or something like that. So that was uh, surprising is that as much help as I tried to give, it, it turned out to be kind of intimidating for people. <laughs> the funny thing is when I think about that whole Amazon algorithm thing, I know that it exists for a reason. I'm sure there are plenty of people who would go and post a false review to support someone that they care about, and Amazon's trying to protect against that. But you and I both came from theater, where if a play was awful, but someone we cared about was in it, you didn't really ever comment on the things that were bad. It was more along the lines of, man, those costumes were incredible, or could you believe that dialogue? Things that had nothing to do with the actual actor's performance. And our family is also very sarcastic. So when I think of Amazon going, oh, well, your family is going to post reviews that benefit you falsely, I'm just like, you do not know us yeah, how at about, all. How about that book cover? <laughs> you know, which doesn't help at all. Although the book cover is pretty cool. No, it is pretty cool. But it was a, it was an interesting learning curve. And another really important lesson that I, that I actually knew ahead of time, I just didn't anticipate it hitting me, and also, I didn't have the time really to overcome it, was that you don't want another entity to control your access to your people. So I had a Facebook account with our company, and over the years, it had developed like 7,000 connections or fans or whatever, you know. The first day we rolled out the book, you know, Facebook closed it out, saying it was a, an infringement of terms and service, which they can, I guess, update without telling you. And, um, well, they're supposed to send you an email. Okay. Well, maybe and they then did. you're supposed to read them. Then <laughs> that's another downside. So anyway, I don't blame Facebook. Honestly, I blame myself for not developing um, a better connection with the people that were really interested outside of my friends and family. So I had fully expected to be able to connect with all those people, and it was shut down because I did not control how I connected with them. And so that was a big lesson learned. A very unfortunate lesson learned. Yeah, it kind of sucked. I didn't have Facebook at the time. I ended up having to go back on Facebook for uh, personal family reasons, but I'm not really a huge fan of social media in general. That's why it was funny when I was first looking for jobs, when I was graduating from college, a lot of the jobs geared towards young people are social media specialists. 
And I'm like, man, I don't qualify for any of those. (laughs) I don't like any of that. I don't have an account and (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to properly use Twitter. So (laughs) yeah, but I know it's an important part of connecting with people. So I will have a Facebook author page and things like that. But I'm not a big fan of having people having access to my life that are strangers. Honestly, I didn't mind the business account because that was all business related. But there's so few people that I want to have access to my personal life that all those people are in my family and all those people are connected to my wife's account. So that's why I I struggle with having my own. It's a sad day when you realize that Google probably knows more about you than your significant other. (laughs) And would recommend better places. Yeah. (laughs) They know what you go through. All those secret medical issues you don't want to tell anyone about. Google remembers. (laughs) They they know what you've been looking up when your spouse goes to bed. Just know that. And just kind of as a PSA, if anything says it's an anonymous website, unless it's an IP blocker, it's not anonymous. You are being tracked. Yeah, you have to look up what all that means. But basically everything you do online is being tracked. So just know that. Just be prepared. The other interesting thing that came out of this whole process was that you were so grateful for all of the help that the authors in the self-publishing community gave to you as you were starting this whole process that you reached out to them after the book was published and you sent them thank you videos, I think. Yep. And you really took the time to connect with them after. And it was really cool to, as I tell your story for you, (laughs) it was really cool for you to connect with other authors that way. No, it was really cool because, you know, the the independent publishing community is so, so giving, very selfless in that way. One of the cool things I did is there's a very good podcast called the Sell More Book Show podcast. And one of the hosts on there is Brian Cohen. And he lives in Chicago. So when the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Chicago Blackhawks were playing for the Stanley Cup, I just made a friendly bet with them that the loser had to send an autographed book to the winner. And so the Lightning lost. So I had to send him a book of mine. <laughs> Do you know that hockey players are insanely amazing? Yeah, they are. Like, um, the goalie played with a torn groin. I know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Bishop. Yeah, and then we had one of our players had his appendix out, and another one of our players played the finals with a broken wrist. Yeah. Hockey players are pretty impressive. Yeah. The thing is, though, I think hockey is half skill and half just adrenaline. And when you are running on adrenaline, your body kind of ignores all of the defects going on because normally you're in danger when you have that much adrenaline pumping through you. And so they probably don't even feel it. It's just rage. I don't know. I think they're also just really tough guys. I think that if you're looking for a real man in the world, if they play hockey, that's probably a good good starting point. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to replace all their teeth eventually, but in the meantime... (laughs) and all the scars on their faces <laughs> and they'll probably limp for the rest of their lives. But other than that. Other than that. Yeah. So one of the cool things that I did, and, and this is an effort to try to be thankful, openly thankful for the people that have helped me out, is this whole Gabby Wells novel thing actually started years ago when I was watching EWTN, the Catholic channel, and they did an interview with Dean Koontz, which surprised me because he was known for a lot of scary thrillers and things like that. And they were talking about the Odd Thomas book series because it's got a lot of Catholic imagery and belief layered in it, especially in the earlier books. That's what I see the Gabby Wells character. If if she were turned into a novel series, that's what I would see too. And it was very inspiring to see someone who had been so successful be able to take his faith and integrate it into a very entertaining book series. So 
What I did is I, I wrote a letter on my old Royal typewriter, 70 year old typewriter. And I wrote a letter to Dean Koontz and just to thank him for that, just tell him what that, that interview meant to me and, and helping me get to where I am. I thought he would appreciate as a writer who's been writing long before computers, a letter actually written on an old typewriter on typing paper. So I sent it to him and I just thanked him for that. And what's really nice is he wrote back he has a form letter that basically says that he's really busy, <laughs> which is nice. But he does he says at the end that he does sign all of the return letters. So because he writes every day, every day of his life, he's writing a book and he writes in a really weird way. He writes every page until it's done. And then he goes to the next page. He doesn't write drafts. That blows my mind. That kind of sounds like how I wrote my papers in high school. Like my introductory paragraph was gold. The conclusion was awful. <laughs> but I mean, he would do it for everything. You just ran out of time, I, I guess. I just but. ran out of time. <laughs> but anyway, he did leave me a note at the bottom and it was really nice. And he also gave me one of his books that he wrote a little note inside in relation to what I had talked about in my letter to him. So it was very personalized and really cool. I mean, but but that's what authors are, I found, is very few of them are jerks or anything like that. Most of them understand how hard it is at any level, even if you suck at writing, to actually finish a book. It's a really, really difficult thing. It was just really nice of him to uh, to reply back with a personalized note and, and give me one of his books. It was kind of cool. Well, I think a lot of storytellers write and create films and all of that sort of stuff because they want those stories out there. They want to connect with their audience and for those stories to mean something to them. So going off of what you said, I think that's definitely true, that authors don't want to completely ignore all their readers. They wrote their stories for them. Yeah, he actually says in his form response that he wishes he had time to meet everybody, and he hopes sincerely that if there's ever a conference or something that he can actually meet the fans that write him, because that's, again, to your point, that's who you're writing for, and the last thing you want to do is ignore them. He also has a newsletter that he sends out. I I guess I'm on the mailing list now. But it's just, it's an old school newsletter, which is kind of cool because he's from a previous generation, pre-computer writing sort of thing. And has a big picture of of the latest Odd Thomas book on it. And he loves dogs. He and his wife, I don't think they had any children, but they have a lot of dogs. So Inside is all about how to take care of dogs. It's just his personal views (laughs) on how to take care of dogs, which is really cool. And in the back is just some other stuff too. So, and if you read his books, he really loves trees. He's really interested in trees because in the Odd Thomas books, You'll see him take a little extra time to explain what the tree is and what's good about it and how much shade it provides and things like that in a way that works. But it, he always takes a little extra time about it. It's pretty interesting. It's entertaining because I was talking with a friend of mine who is also an author, and she's in the middle of reading your book, actually. And <laughs> And I was explaining to her how you are a very efficient writer because you personally don't have a lot of patience for stories that take forever to get to the point. And she jokingly laughed and said, so he's probably not a fan of Tolkien then, who takes like six pages to describe a tree that's not even relevant to the story. Yeah. And that just goes to personal preference again, because Tolkien is obviously a fantastic writer, but it's not, not everybody's thing. No, and Charles Dickens used to do that a lot, too. He he spent a whole chapter describing a horse and carriage. I think it was in that tale of the two cities. And it was, like, really in-depth. And then I found out later that they got paid by the word back then. So oh. <laughs> that kind of... Because it was in newspapers first before it went into books, so... Do you know where the phrase, it cost an arm and a leg, originates? 
from where? No, let's just go on. That's no. better. Let's just go no. on. It's better. Wait, no. I do not know. Do you know? I do I not. Just, <laughs> I do not know. Do you know? No, from what? I don't. <laughs> I'm going to repeat the question. I'm going to not allow you to edit it. I, I have to say it is grammatically correct. Okay. It's very necessary. All right. Say it to, after the show's over. No. Okay. So I don't so know. Do you know? Nope. I don't. <laughs> uh, I don't know where an arm and a leg came from. <sighs> Forthwith, with the phrase in accordance with prophecy. Go. Do you know from where? <laughs> <laughs> the phrase an arm and a leg. It cost an arm and a leg originates. <laughs> you still didn't get it right. <laughs> I know I didn't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. Seven. All right. <clears throat> For all of you listening, I apologize. Go ahead. Do you know from where the phrase it cost an arm and a leg originates? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I've been thinking about this question for <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, no. Then I shall inform you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Honestly, <laughs> the phrase exists because a very long time ago when people had portraits painted of themselves like George ah. Washington and Abraham Lincoln, the painters who painted those portraits would charge by the limb, <laughs> which is why a lot of them pose with a hand behind their back. It's not like a, a symbol of noble Or they didn't endeavor. do it around the neighborhood so, or something like that. Just walk around like, why do they, <laughs> they all have their arms They didn't walk around that it? way. Yeah, no, it just, it was cheaper to stand huh. in that position. Interesting. That's right. what I was told at yeah. the state house in well, Boston. Well, that's got to be true then. Yeah, well, it was about the tour guide, so if not, he should be fired. <laughs> I don't remember what his name is, though, I so say. I, can't, <laughs> I can't. Let's turn him in. I can't put in a complaint, <clears throat> unfortunately. Because it's unfortunate that I can't cost a man his job for one potential mistake. <laughs> Which is probably not wrong. Which is probably not wrong. Yeah. All right, then. You know, another thing that I've... Can I get back to the show? No. So, yeah, I don't have anything okay. that. <laughs> so, uh, another thing that I, I've learned is... So, the second book is done, Lost and Found. It's at the editor. The third book, Sins and Suicide, I hope to have done by the end of the month, which would be August... 2015, at least to the point that it can go to beta readers. And then the following book, Gods and Martyrs, I hope to have done by the end of the year. And after that, you know, there's nothing worse if you go to an Amazon page with the long book series if you haven't uh, gotten a lot of reviews, if not a lot of people seem to care about it. So even though the Gabby Wells series is, is supposed to be nine books long, I'm going to keep writing them, but I may not release them until I can get those four or five books really getting some traction and visibility. So I, I've been spending a lot more time trying to make connections. My beta readers have been awesome in trying to make connections with other people out there to try to spread the word. Because so far, honestly, and I don't mean this in any sort of bragging sort of way, but I haven't found anyone that didn't like the book. I'm not saying that everyone loved it, but I've never had anyone not like it yet. So I know if we can just get it to the right people, that I can get more traction on it. And I'm sure once it gets to a lot of people, there will be people that will hate it. That's okay, too. But um, <laughs> You're not going to keep the trend of never getting a bad review? <laughs> no. Like you did when you were an actor? I got, yeah. And mentioned to me when I was an actor? Yeah, just as a, just, just, just <laughs> a goal, you know. I did get, you know, not great reviews. I got, like, lukewarm reviews, but none of them were... Oh, that guy's awful. Abysmal. Yeah. I didn't get words like you did. I mean like that. <laughs> Aww. Dad. <laughs> That's not true. Maybe we should release draft one of Water and Blood. 
I I don't want to hurt my fans, <laughs> all three of them. I wouldn't want to do that. So anyway, um, the the point is is that at the end of the fourth or fifth book, also I've heard from a lot of authors that after five books is when you really start to see traction and uh, growth in your series. That's why I didn't really care about sales with the first book because every book you sell after that sells the first book over again. But I still did care about reviews and I only reached half my goal. So again, that goes to the point that Instead of getting 40 people, I need to get like 200 people to reach the goal that I want. Well, it's interesting too, because the book is not that expensive, especially if you buy the ebook. It was on sale for 99 cents for a little while, and now it costs $2.99. And that's not expensive. I would argue most working people spend more than that at the vending machine every day. And sometimes you have to remind people of that. Like, this is three bucks. You spend this much on chips. Yeah. No, I know. I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dad, you spend that on snow caps. Snow caps. Whenever I Beckoning would go to me. the movies, Beckoning I me. would have to plan in advance where I could purchase snow caps. Yeah, because they, sometimes they wouldn't have them for long stretches. It was very, very offensive to me. Yeah. As then a, we found as a out that person like, with a soul. <laughs> <laughs> then, we, then we found out that, that like Walgreens had them for a dollar, and uh, yeah, so that's where we went before we went to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. But the next book, Lost and Found, we'll talk about in another episode, but it's a little darker, and the feedback I've gotten is that people like it a lot better than the first book, which is always good. And I will say I was a little afraid writing Lost and Found because people like the first book, and you really have to do better the second time. So that was How kind dare of, you be successful? Uh, well, there's pressure to that, though, honestly. <laughs> no, you there know, is. Especially the second book, because if the second book stinks, no one's going to read you know, three through nine. Again, I'll talk more about that, but but it's a little darker and there's some some parts of it that there's been universally questioned about, not whether it was appropriate, um, there's some language in there, but whether it's appropriate for my target audience. So I'm waiting to hear what my editor says. I'm sure she's going to tell me it's not. Yeah. Um, I'm almost positive. And then I have to revisit that and look at those moments where that comes up and uh, and see if I need to make changes there without losing the sense of the characters that that are saying those things that you know, you don't like, but they're kind of bad people. So they say things you don't like. But that's the decision that we've come to when we were talking about these stories. We wanted to be true to the characters and not wash over difficult subjects because we were gearing our stories toward a Christian audience. Now, a consequence of that may be people don't like the book, but you've always raised me to believe that you have to be able to live your faith in the real world. Because if it only exists in this world where nothing bad happens, that's not true faith. No, you're right. And having just finished a, um, a Bible study where we went through the Old Testament quite in depth, I will say that, yeah, they don't have a lot of bad words in that Old Testament. They but... got plenty of everything else. Wow. Wow. <laughs> We had to actually remind ourselves that this was before the Ten Commandments were given to the Jewish people because we were reading some stories going, so lying's apparently okay. Yeah, lying, sleeping with your relatives. It's all good. So gross. But anyway, I want to talk more about Lost and Found and kind of the struggles with writing that book in the next episode. But that is done at the editor right now. So hopefully that'll be done and available. I'm not sure about the release though, because with the marketing thing, maybe we wait until all three books are done and then release them relatively quickly, hoping that we can get more people involved in the first book before that happens. I don't know. We're trying to figure this out. It is a whole new world in terms of marketing. 
This is seen across multiple media platforms, not just with books. Binge consumption is really popular right now. And I'm definitely victim to it. I love getting every part of the story that I can as soon as I can. And then rereading it and living in that world for as long as I want to. Yeah, like the show Turn on AMC. Awesome. I just binged that. That was fun. Now, one of the things we want to do is that Ideally, we would love to have enough people aware that when they go to World Youth Day, that it gets talked about at least amongst people from other countries. That's kind of one of the long-term goals, which would be nice. But there's so much work that has to happen between here and then. So, Dad, let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, It's because the portrait, you had to pay for each limb. (laughs) That was... Oh, we're not doing that one again? Oh, dang it. All right, now and now Do I really don't know. know. No, where? I don't. <laughs> no, here's my question for you. <laughs> Reset. Now that we've experienced some of the real in your face difficulties in your of, face. In your face. Difficulties of self-publishing. Why is this story, telling this story, so important to you? Because you do have another series coming up that will be much easier to market. Yeah, it will. So why is telling this story to you personally important to you? A couple of things. It's kind of a vanity project in the sense of (laughs) I love... Well, it's important to me because I love Hitchcock movies. And we talked about this before where you want to recreate that feeling for others. And I'm trying to do that in writing. So that's part of it. Part of it is that I really want to, for those people that love thrillers, to really have something fun to read. I also wanted a character that was going through even the faith struggles that I have. Uh, I think that adding a religious component to the story actually adds a lot of great conflict, eternal conflict that most stories don't have, which I think is valuable. And it also gives readers who, well, those readers that are going through a faith journey um, will definitely appreciate the faith journey because so much of what Gabby is going through, I went through or currently am going through. She struggles with suffering a lot because I have Crohn's and I've been suffering with that for 25 years. She struggles with time a lot because I hate wasting my time. And after <laughs> after five surgeries, also, I do feel the, the clock ticking in my life. I don't anticipate it ending soon, but I certainly feel that more so than, than I used to. As you, I guess that happens as you get a little older. But also for those young people that have never even thought about their spiritual side of their, their life. We talked about this last night, Dorothy, where if you ignore your physical physical body, the physical aspect of your being, eventually it'll catch up to you. Your physical body will reject or, or act against you. If you ignore the, the psychological aspects of your life, your brain, your work-life balance, your work-life balance <laughs> is a good example. It will come back to haunt you. And a lot of people don't even consider the spiritual aspect of the human species, but the human species has all three of those components. And so if you're not addressing it, it even in an I'm not even saying in an organized religion perspective, if you are not dealing with the spiritual nature of being a human being, then that also will come back to haunt you in a way if you don't deal with it. And spirituality has always been a part of human life. If you look back to ancient civilizations, there's a reason that religions exist. And it's because we're always seeking to understand the beyond. We have that calling. And there's a really great quote by, I believe, C.S. Lewis that I'm going to try to quote perfectly, but will most likely paraphrase, which says something to the effect of, you don't crave things that you haven't had a taste for. Like, I don't crave star fruit because I have no idea what star fruit tastes like. I've never had it. So I don't have cravings for that. But 
I have cravings for the beyond. I have cravings for heaven. And his whole argument was that the only logical conclusion is that we have cravings for the greater beyond because that's what we were made for, because that's what we came from. Yeah, we already have some spiritual experience with it as a species, and therefore it's familiar enough within our lives to want more of it. And I really do love that you bring those religious aspects into the story because I am a religious person. And whenever I'm really struggling in my faith and in my spiritual life, there's always this huge weight on me because if I am wrong, if I am making the wrong choices, it could lead to eternal damnation. And I think especially in our nation, there's this whole idea that hell is a party with a bunch of bad people. That's not what hell is. And when you feel the pressure and the weight of hell weighing on you, whether it's something that is justified or not, because we have a tendency to put a lot of pressure on ourselves when the answer is obviously in your faith. Um, but when you do have that weighing on you, it's it's really hard to deal with. And it's something that people struggle with. Yeah. And so to me, it was always important to have a religious aspect of it anyway, because I think it speaks to people of faith and people not of faith, because we all have a spiritual aspect to the human species. So it's just important to me to give young people, because they're, they're at that transition phase in their lives, to give young people a, a book that I would have loved to have read as a teenager, you know, to help kind of go, oh, I guess it's not uncommon or abnormal to not understand everything that you've been raised in, to look at some of the, the challenges and the suffering in the world and go, God, how can you allow that to exist? And all those things like that, those common questions early on in a faith journey that we we strive to understand. So it's just a great layered component. And it adds some sort of divine quest to Gabby's life that is something that just adds more, again, weight, value, um, conflict to her struggle and her eventual conclusion. It is something that I've talked about before on this podcast. But again, if you look at stories like Les Mis, most of the characters in that story are quote unquote Christian. And that is part of their life, whether that's being used as an excuse for bad behavior or whether that's offering salvation to a character that desperately needs it. It's part of the story. And I think it's something that needs to be brought back into modern storytelling. Yeah, they just there's not a lot of stories I've read, been reading a lot lately. And unless they're specifically designed for a Christian or Catholic audience, their characters don't have faith at all, which to me is just very abnormal. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but one of the shows that's kind of tackling this on on Netflix is the Daredevil show, where that character is Catholic and struggles with being Catholic and also being like a vigilante at the same time. So that's that's a great conflict because the person was raised Catholic, and so there's eternal consequences in that guy's life, and that's exactly what, what we're talking about here, too. So that's why it's important for me to, to write the story and to get it out there. I do want it to get out there successfully, though. So so at the end of four or five books, if it's not gotten the audience that I, I think it deserves or needs, I'll write the other books. But I may actually start releasing that other series you were talking about, which is more marketable and may then lead people from that book series to this one. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so Dorothea, the end of season two, episode one. So there's no spoiler alert anymore. Nope. The spoiler is that there aren't any. (laughs) Forevermore. Anymore. (laughs) But there is uh, something else that I think we could do in its place. What's that? We could have recommendations. Okay, go. I came across some information recently that I find incredibly disturbing and just awful, which is... (laughs) Wow. No, they can't wait. 
Please tell them. Which is that apparently I was informed that To Kill a Mockingbird has been banned in some public schools throughout this lovely nation. Yeah, that freedom of speech thing. Not so much. I can understand why certain books are banned from public schools, but why To Kill a Mockingbird? It's a classic that deals with race issues. It deals yeah. with judgment. It like It's very important. Because political correctness is for pansies. Anyway, my recommendation is that if you have not done so already, you should definitely check out To Kill a Mockingbird. And I'm going to be recommending really good classic stories for the next couple of episodes that just because they're classics does not mean you should ignore them. You should definitely check them out. It's information that you should be aware of just from a cultural intelligence perspective. A few months ago, I was actually out to a team lunch and I witnessed a conversation that I didn't know how to process in my brain. One of my coworkers was speaking with another coworker and she was saying that the other coworker should really check out this show called Sherlock, which is awesome. Sherlock is a good show. Here's the thing though. She described Sherlock as a non-medical house. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, House was based on Sherlock Holmes. House was pitched as a medical Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So the thing was, was that my reaction was, it's about Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> How have you not heard of this character? But I think the sad thing is, is that there are probably people who have not heard of these classic stories. So... For the next few episodes, I'm going to be recommending things along that line. All right. So uh, my recommendation I mentioned before is the AMC show Turn. If you like the American Revolution stuff, and I know that sounds so stuffy, but but the way they do Turn is pretty amazing as far as storytelling goes. You know, it's great because it's a spy show. So it's about George Washington's spies in the revolution. And of course, they're living in occupied America at the time. So it's fraught with danger. But the writers themselves, as they put it together, are really brilliant because they will, as soon as you think everything is fine and that the character can breathe just for a moment, something else comes up and just throws another obstacle in their way. So it's really, really a good show. And I actually first heard about the whole Culpa Ring and the Washington Spies from Brad Meltzer's books. Um, he's big into history and takes that stuff and takes it into modern stories. So his book, The Inner Circle, is one of the first ones, I think. It's a great book about uh, uh, about the Culpa Ring existing today. So check that Ooh. out. Yeah, really cool. I haven't read that yet. Yeah, well, I haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird either. So Seriously? Seriously. You haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird? No. I respect you less as a person. That was, wow. That, there, was, <laughs> there wasn't a lot to go from. Anyway, listen, I am fully versed in Gilligan's Island. That doesn't count. I don't know how to process this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Look, I didn't. I I didn't have to read it in high school nor college. Really? Really? So yeah. it's I'm a product of. It's not my fault. Okay. I did read a tale of two cities on my own. I tried to read David Copperfield and wanted to kill myself. <laughs> I tried to read Great Expectations and wanted to kill myself. You just need to get away from Dickens. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. He makes me want to kill myself. It's so depressing. But anyway, so I will read To Kill a Mockingbird because it is on my to-do list. Yeah. Cool. Well, definitely check out those two books, The Inner Circle and To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you have time, check out AMC's Turn. There are two seasons that have already been aired, but there will be a third season coming out in 2016. Yeah, I can't wait. And each season's only 10 episodes long, so it goes along really quick. You know, something that I realized 
in the past few weeks when I finished watching AD, which was an awesome show. You should definitely check it out if you get the chance. It was canceled, so sadly, but it was really, really good. And watching Turn was that sometimes when you read about historical characters, you don't see them as people. You just see them as their actions, what they did. George Washington did this, 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 and this. Peter did this, 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 and this. And Paul was Paul and did a whole bunch of stuff. And you forget to acknowledge that they were people with dreams and hopes and who had to use the bathroom. I mean, there was a whole life that they had that we don't really acknowledge because we just see them by their actions. And watching these shows reminded me of that. And it helped me see these characters in a new light, even though there are liberties taken with those stories, it still does open your mind. Yeah, we only know them from a synopsis of their life. And it's a li- like you said, a list of accomplishments or failures. So it is nice to see it rounded out in line with the times that they lived in, the struggles that they lived in, and it kind of makes their achievements even greater. You know, the early Christians in the Roman Empire were, were not being a, either a Jew or a follower of Roman gods was worthy of execution. That makes the early Christians pretty awesome. When you see average people, not soldiers, deciding to spy on the British for this colonial continental army, I mean, that's that's a pretty amazing thing, too, when you see how they lived and and that, you know, a British soldier is quartered in their house without their approval kind of thing. It's it's pretty cool. So check it out. If you would like to comment, you can comment in the comment section on the blog. If you wouldn't like to just do it. Right. Let's go, (laughs) peeps. And if you would like to reach out to us, or if your name is Steve and you would like to defend it, please feel free to email us at Pete at PetePowerBooks.com. That's a new email. Isn't that exciting? It is exciting. It's it's an exciting development of season <laughs> two. <laughs> Not season one. Well, I wanted but a season two. <laughs> I wanted an e- email address that could be universally used through all the things that we do. So if you listen to the show, please sign up for our newsletter. I'm trying to create content specifically for and only for people on the newsletter, and you'll get the first crack at, at each book as it's released. So, and discounted or free. So please sign up. And if you are interested in being a beta reader or participating in our launch team, please feel free to let us know via email as well. Yes. uh, Just so you know that the options are a beta reader has to read a book within two weeks and give critical feedback about the, the book. It's before it's done. There are also advanced readers and those people get an advanced reader copy, which is a finished book prior to release with the expectation that they will review the book and talk about the book once it's released. If you'd like to be a part of either of those teams, again, email me at pete at petebowerbooks.com. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you very much for season two kickoff <laughs> awesomeness. Hey, did you hear about where the term arm and a leg came from? I did. Oh, Once dang it. Dang it. But who knows? It could be a little crap. <laughs> it could be because it came from, you know, that guy. <laughs> the random the tour guy. guide. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next time. Have a good day.